Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Elo and he is the advocacy coordinator um, with, for the Police Accountability Project and we're going to be speaking with him um, shortly and we'll speak with him about police investigating police and we'll discuss with him where are we at in the push to having independent investigations of police. And indeed, for the past couple of years, the Andrews government has been sitting on an important report that recommends a system that could independently investigate serious police corruption and misconduct. And on this show, we have talked a lot about Aboriginal deaths in custody and looked at quite a lot of extensive material in regards to what happens to vulnerable communities and the consequences of police investigating police. So we'll be speaking with Elo shortly about that. And then after that, we're going to be speaking with Josephine, who is the senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. And we will be speaking with her about a submission that was sent to the, to the UN Committee and looking at torture and cruel treatment in Australia's refugee protection and immigration detention regimes. And we'll be looking at mistreatment um, under international um, scrutiny because basically the UN anti-torture body is having a look at all that stuff. So the Albanese government needs to end the practice of locking people in immigration detention for years on end. And so we'll be speaking with Josephine about that and actually about a decision that was made yesterday about some of those issues. And then after that we'll be speaking with Tiffany Overall from Youth Law and that will be a continuation of a discussion with Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre in regards to a joint submission that was sent to the United Nations Committee Against Torture and looking at how youth is affected and and what what is happening in regards to uh, that scrutiny and looking at human rights abuses in prisons and police cells across Australia. But first up, let's speak with Elo. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. 
3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. And you're back with the Doing Time show, and I wanted to welcome um, Elo, is it? Yeah, that's right. To the show. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Elo, it's so lovely to have you, and um, just to clarify to you, you are live on air, but it, it'll be very informal, so don't worry. <laughs> oh, good, great. It's lovely to have you, Elo. So can you just start off, I've already introduced you, but can you just um, tell listeners where you're from? Sure. So my name's uh, Ilo Diaz, and I'm with the Police Accountability Project. Uh, I'm the advocacy um, advocacy coordinator for the racial discrimination work. Yes, and I'm sure there's been a lot a lot of work to be done, hasn't there, in regards to this area? Can there you tell us what you what's been going on in terms of police investigating police, and what your thoughts are on this, and what work has been done in that area lately? Yeah, great. Um, look, I'm sure many of your listeners know um, that the current system in Victoria around police complaints, so if you want to complain to police, there's, usually, there's only really two places you can go. One of them is uh, directly to police, so you can complain about police to police. Um, and we can obviously know all the problems that that can entail uh, when you have a profession investigating its own profession. Um, and then there's IBAC. And IBAC uh, was meant to be an independent um, police complaint investigating body, uh, as well as corruption. Um, and so you can go there. But the issue with going there is that 98% of their complaints are actually referred back to police. So even though you've gone to an independent body to investigate a complaint that you have against police, that body sends the vast majority of those complaints back to police to investigate themselves. So we've got a situation in Victoria where police are consistently and constantly investigating police. And not only that, in about 90% of the cases, the police that are investigating the police are are from the same station or region. So we've got essentially colleagues and mates investigating themselves. And so it's just not on. Um, It isn't, exactly. So can you just um, clarify for us, do you know much about the bipartisan report that made 69 significant recommendations to improve transparency, transparency and efficiency of how allegations of police misconduct dealt with. Is that something that the Victorian government has done? And if so, is there a report? Uh, yeah, look, that, there was, you know, um, a vast amount of uh, recommendations that came out of um, what we call the Lawyer X scandal and uh, the IBAC inquiry. And uh, yeah, part of that was to for the government to overlook uh, and reform the oversight mechanisms around police. And Look, uh, we have had some contacts with the government around this piece of work and, and legislation, and they had promised us that they would find something or would try to introduce a change in this term of government. And, and we've responded in goodwill 
to try to you know move that piece of work along. But uh, you know, how, how long is there until the until the elections call, uh, comes along, where you know no longer no more sitting weeks in parliament, and so we're in a situation where whatever they change is not going to happen this. Uh, this sitting period or this government, and we're going to have to wait for another government to try to implement any changes. And so, yeah, look, they, those recommendations came out. They've tried to do some work. They've consulted with a few of us, but substantially they've done nothing and they've kind of sat on their hands. And so from the Police Accountability Project and from a number of other organisations, we are calling for a police ombudsman. It's no longer about waiting for reforms or waiting for uh, IBAC to do a better job or waiting for police to keep investigating police. It's time for us to call for a police ombudsman and we want a police ombudsman now. Absolutely. And I believe that there's a media release that listeners can have a look at. Yeah, that's right. So if you go onto our website, which is policeaccountability.org.au, um, you can click on our, our media release that we took out alongside the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And there you can read the letter that we sent alongside 28 other organisations to the Premier asking for a police ombudsman. I mean, the reasons for a police ombudsman are long and, and very powerful, um, but we're not just asking for any police ombudsman because it's pretty very easy for any government to turn around and just create another body uh, that can investigate police uh, that will do an inadequate job. So we're asking for very specific things to happen, for it to be timely, for it to, to be well-resourced, for it to be completely independent of police, and for it to have the proper powers to investigate every complaint that comes on its desk. So Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre has merged, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And are you um, part of that? Yeah, that's right. So we've Flemington, so Police Accountability Project is... Uh, or was a project of the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. And uh, late last year, uh, we merged with Inner Melbourne Community Legal. And so now the Police Accountability Project comes under the Inner Melbourne Community Legal banner. Yeah, and in fact, the Do and Time show has has historically interviewed many, many people from, from Flemkin, um, including Tamar Hopkins and Anthony Kelly, and quite a few other people. And we've done a lot of work, actually, in regards to also attending the inquest of Auntie Tanya Day. Can you talk a little bit about that that um, landmark ruling and how that is not, is not really about independent police investigation, is it? Uh, yeah, look, I, I, you know, I admit up front I'm not an expert on... No, of course not. <laughs> Particular ruling, I mean, because okay. you're not Aboriginal, you're non-Aboriginal, right? But um, that's, but I, that's I right. just wanted to, to give uh, just to get listeners a little bit of background. Yeah, look, um, Flamken's done a lot of great work in this space yeah. around police accountability work, and we're definitely behind every and any uh, call for police to stop investigating police. And one of the major issues around um, special coronial inquests is that it's essentially police also investigating police because it's... Yeah. Um, and that causes a lot of conflict issues uh, and a lot of issues around how you can investigate. So, for example, my role is around racial profiling and race, racialized policing. And so we're asking for uh, police and for the courts to make systemic rulings around racism and find that police are racist. And that's a really hard thing to for the courts to do because it's not they're not used to it. And so we're constantly... Find, like 
pushing the boundaries to see how the courts can work for the community and find out find these systemic issues. And a coronal inquest is actually one of the one of the few places we can we can try to push that uh, even further. Absolutely, and I'm so glad you mentioned racial profiling because this um, what happened with Auntie Tanya was was institutional and systemic racism. And, and indeed, um, on the 9th of April 2020, the coronial inquest into Arnie Tanya's death in police custody, she was a Yorta Yorta woman, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. They yeah. found a possibility of an indictable offence and recommended that the two police officers involved in monitoring her be investigated by the Director of Public Prosecutions. But that didn't happen, did it? No, and, and that's, I mean... It's a tragedy when these things happen, and unfortunately it happens to our Aboriginal brothers and sisters way too often than it should ever be the case. Uh, but it's exactly that. You know, oftentimes, many communities we hear of, of that are, get stopped and searched in the community when they're going about their business and end up in cells or handcuffed or on the floor or even worse, brutalised, um, just because police had a slight hunch that something was off. And, and to be honest, that, that shouldn't fly. We should be calling that out at every single moment. Um, and, you know, to tie it back into a police ombudsman and our call for one would be that these, what police would call minor breaches, that those should be investigated at every instance and systemic issues should be brought out so that a, a body, an independent body, has the power to look at these, find the, the links, find the patterns and say, actually, you know what, they're systemic uh, and organisational racism going on here. It, it would be really good to have a police ombudsman, wouldn't it? Because then that, you know, that person or that body could oversee um, and investigations would be far more independent. Of course. And it's not, and it's not just complaints, to be honest. It's no. about everything. It's like, when do they unholster their weapons? When are they using horses for protests? When are, you know, how, how often are they stopping and searching people of colour? How often are they, uh, you know, raiding the same neighbourhood? You know, it's it's a much more broader than just uh, individual complaints. It's about tracking and looking at these uh, systemic issues that we in the community we know they happen. We're not silly. We we we're there. We live we live them. Um, it's about actually asking our government and asking our the people in power to just pay attention and to listen to us. Thank you so much for coming onto the program, Elo. I'd, I'd love to have you back on again. Um, but you've you've actually given us a very very good and concise um, summary of, of what's happening. But, of course, it only scratches the surface, doesn't it, really? No, of, no, of course. I could I could speak for hours and I would oh. love to come back. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Elo, and um, we'll talk soon. Definitely. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, we're from Fitzroy Primary School and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR. Hi, my name is Bunjalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 10th of November at Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 10th of November, Arnie Almathorpe's Gathering Place, Daddy Munmaru, 
6 to 8pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. Time show. It's approximately four sixteen, and we're going to be speaking shortly with um, Josephine from the Human Rights Law Centre. Um, she's the senior lawyer there, and we're going to be speaking with her about a submission, um, and it's in regards to torture and cruel treatment in Australia's refugee protection and immigration detention regimes. And we will be speaking with her about. Um, that submission and indeed uh, on the subject of compliance with anti-torture conventions I believe that there was a decision made yesterday for the, of the subcommittee on the prevention of torture to suspend its visit to Australia after New South Wales and Queensland refused them access to some detention locations and we were speaking with her about that and about a joint statement with many other human rights organisations expressing concerns about this lack of cooperation. So there's a lot to talk about. Hello, Josephine. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. Now, I'm wondering if you could just um, give listeners your your full name and title. Yes, of course. Um, my name's Josephine Langbian, and uh, as you mentioned, I'm a senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. It's so lovely to have you. Now, Josephine, could you just talk a little bit about what's been going on? We did have an interview with Monique Hurley a couple of weeks ago in regards to the, the anti-torture watchdog and prisons. Yes. And now today we're going to be talking about the mistreatment of um, refugees. Could you just give us some background about what's been going on? Yes, of course. Um, now, there's a lot going on um, yeah. in this space. I guess to set the scene a little bit, um, Marissa, you mentioned the uh, submission that we have made to the United Nations Committee Against Torture. Um, that submission is part of a review that the committee are conducting of Australia's compliance with the Convention Against Torture. Um, so, you know, Australia signed up to this Convention, um, that's the convention that out, outlaws um, torture and all other forms of cruel, in, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. Um, and um, so because we've signed up to that convention, the United Nations periodically reviews our, our um, track record of compliance with that convention. Um, so in um, November uh, next month, the um, Australian government will have to show up in Geneva and, and answer for its, its track record uh, under that convention. Um, in addition to that, Australia has also signed up to the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture. Uh, now, OPCAT, as we call it for short, is, um, is all about um, independent monitoring and oversight of places of detention. Uh, and so the subcommittee on the uh, prevention of torture, uh, a, a delegation from the United Nations, which is um, responsible for uh, monitoring whether states are implementing OPCAT and, and complying with their obligations under OPCAT. Uh, the subcommittee was um, conducting its first ever visit to Australia last week, but um, as you mentioned, uh, was uh, ran into some obstructions and was actually blocked from visiting some prisons in New South Wales and 
from some facilities in Queensland as well. And so the subcommittee made the really uh, shocking decision uh, last night to suspend that visit. So there's definitely a lot going on at the moment, Marissa. Indeed. I just don't even know where to start. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we, we really do need to address, don't we, the ending of torture and human rights abuses um, in detention and a lot of cruel treatment there, isn't it, with uh, refugees? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, torture and cruel treatment take many forms and many of those are going on every day um, in immigration detention both in Australia and you know, offshore in the detention camps that we have set up in Nauru and Papua New Guinea. Um, in immigration detention in Australia, you know, people are locked up indefinitely. If you don't have a visa but you can't be removed from Australia, for example, because you're stateless or you're a refugee, then it's perfectly legal under Australian law for the government to um, keep people behind bars for their whole lives. So there are people in detention who have been there for over a decade um, and we've still got over 200 people languishing in um, Australia's offshore camps in Papua New Guinea and Nauru. Uh, so, yeah, it's really important that we um, address these really protracted issues. And the submission that was made by the Human Rights Law Centre, that was also with other organisations. Can you? What other organisations were they? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we um, co-authored this submission with the Refugee Council of Australia and also with the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law. Um, so we collaborated on this um, submission and, as you mentioned, it's, this particular submission is addressing immigration detention specifically. So uh, we looked at issues around uh, mandatory and indefinite immigration detention, um, which you know, we're seeing more and more people locked up in detention centres for longer periods of time than ever before. Um, at the moment, the average length of time that people are spending in immigration detention in Australia is, is over two years, which is just absolutely appalling. Um, and then when people are in detention, you know, they're, they're dealing with just really terrible treatment as well. Um, you know, there's there's been numerous independent reports of excessive use of force by detention centre staff against people who are detained. Um, so that's physical force, um, you know, inappropriate use of restraints and use of solitary confinement as punishment. Um, and, yeah, our submission also um, looked at the situation offshore. Um, you know, the people who are still in Papua New Guinea and, and Nauru, they've spent nine years uh, being subjected to physical abuse, appalling living conditions, medical neglect uh, and so much more. And there just has never been any accountability for any of this and, and hundreds of people in those circumstances still don't have any pathway to safe or permanent resettlement. Indeed. And what are some of the recommendations that came out of the submission? Uh, we've got quite a long list of recommendations. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> just, just detail a few. That's fine. We could be here obviously, all night. <laughs> we could. I'll try and keep that brief. Um, obviously, a, a major recommendation is ending um, the offshore processing regime and providing permanent resettlement uh, in Australia or, or third countries for every person who's been subjected to that system. Um, you know, it's really beyond time that we bring that failed policy of, of offshore processing to a close. 
And then in terms of detention in Australia, uh, firstly, we've recommended an urgent review of every person who's currently held in immigration detention and consideration of whether that detention is necessary or if people could be um, released into the community. And then going forward, we need to end the policy of mandatory detention um, and make detention like a genuine measure of last resort. This shouldn't be um, our first response to, to any person who doesn't have an Australian visa. Um, and then to go alongside that, uh, we need to institute time limits on how long people can be held in detention uh, and set up legal pathways for people to be able to challenge their detention. Um, these are some of the recommendations we've made, but I mean, I think obviously what we need overall is a fundamental shift in how we treat people who aren't citizens in Australia and instead of viewing people as a, a threat or trying to keep people out, um, you know, we need a system that treats people with dignity and humanity uh, and we need to recognise that immigration detention doesn't work to serve any real purpose, but we know that, you know, lots of people are making a lot of money from it. Um, we've also seen news reports coming out today that um, the Australian government is um, paying a private corporation $750,000 a day to operate the, the processing centre in Nauru, um, which is, you know, servicing about 100 people. What an absolute waste of money when that money could be could be funneled into, you know, public programs to help absolutely. people. Absolutely, and this absolutely is largely right. out of step, isn't it, with countries like Canada and the United States? Um, elements of it definitely are, um, as I mentioned, particularly in terms of how long we are locking people up in immigration detention. Um, you know, both Canada and the US have their own. Um, issues and, and mm -hmm. human rights problems in terms of how they treat um, people in immigration detention, but the you know the average length of time is just that people are held is dramatically shorter in those jurisdictions. The fact that the average length of time that people in Australia are locked up is over two years is just um, appalling, and and you know that's an average period of time. So that reflects the fact that there are a lot of people who have been in detention for a lot longer than two years. Um, you know, there are people who have been in detention for 13, 14 years with with no um, no prospect of release. And um, the Australian government has no plans and no solutions for these people. Um, the, the government is just sticking its head in the sand and abdicating responsibility. And this is um, part of the reason why these uh, international review processes are important uh, so that the Australian government has to, to show up and, and answer for these kinds of problems on the international stage. Indeed. So if people, if listeners want to read the submission, it's, on the, it's actually on the website, the Human Rights Law website, Centre website? It is, yes, it's a public document. It's available on our website, um, hlc.org.au, and um, people are very welcome to jump on and have a read. So the UN Committee Against Torture is meant to be investigating Australia's human rights track record in November, and yet what, what are the consequences, do you think, Josephine, mm. of the subcommittee, you know, um, having to suspend its visit? To Australia? Yeah, um, look, it's a, it's a great question.
question, Marissa. I think it's um, I think it's really shocking that we got to this point um, that the subcommittee had to suspend its visit. Um, you know, independent inspections are the whole point of OPCAT. Um, abuse thrives behind closed doors and the Australian government voluntarily signed up to these conventions and agreed to be reviewed and to allow these um, these bodies to, to come and inspect um, places of detention. Um, there's really there's really no excuse for the New South Wales government to still be resisting um, visits from the subcommittee. There's no excuse for the federal government not to have done the work to sort out this issue with state governments. Um, and I think it's a really shameful failure that Australia couldn't facilitate this visit from the subcommittee. Um, because the, the subcommittee's visit has been suspended, um, that, do, that doesn't impact the, the hearings in Geneva in November. Um, Australia will still have to show up to the Committee Against Torture and participate in those hearings. And, um, you know, I, I hope that Australia's inability to facilitate this visit will be something that the committee uh, is considering when it's looking at Australia's compliance um, with the anti-torture conventions. Um, it, it, it's always a question of, um, you know, what what can be done? What can the UN actually really do? Um, obviously, the UN doesn't have the power to force Australia to, to do anything, but I think these processes of holding Australia accountable uh, on the public stage are really important uh, and hopefully the UN can encourage um, the Australian government to get its act together. It's most disgraceful, Josephine. Disgraceful. You're right. Thank you so much for coming onto the program. Are there any other final comments that you wanted to make? Um, I guess just following on from um, that last point about you know what is what's what is what's the utility of these processes and and what can the UN actually do? Um, at the end of the day, if we had an Australian Charter of Human Rights at the national level, that would be you know that would make it so much easier to actually hold governments accountable for breaches of the rights that are protected under the Convention Against Torture. Uh, and so that's an, another change that we would really love to see to to. Um, to help make things better. But, um, yeah, nothing else to add other than um, please do check out the submission that's on our website and, um, yes, we will continue trying to hold governments accountable for the mistreatment of people in detention. Josephine, it's great to have you and, and I'm sure we'll have you back. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Marissa. Talk to you next time. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail loss now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Istra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. And you've been listening to an interview with Josephine from the Human Rights Law Centre, senior lawyer. 
And the Doon Times show has actually been doing a series of interviews in regards to an investigation by the UN and looking at the United Nations Committee Against Torture and some of the submissions that have been put forward. And next up, we'll be speaking with Tiffany Overall from Youth Law. And we're speaking to people also from organisations that haven't sent submissions as well. We need to get as much um, information as possible. We spoke with Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre a couple of weeks ago about a submission that was sent um, to the committee and Change the Record was involved and also the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services and they sent a joint submission and we talked about that. And I've invited Tiffany onto the show and she's been with us um, quite a few times now on the show, um, but I've invited her today, today specifically to look at um, the raising of age of criminal responsibility um, because children have been locked up as young as 10, and really just to, to um, talk to her in regards to how youth have been affected, um, and is there going to be an investigation about that as well? Hello, Tiffany. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you, and thank you for coming on at such short notice as well. No, that's fine. My pleasure. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> indeed. It's been a long time. It's been, indeed. So so can you tell us what, what's been going on and how... What has your organisation been able to do in, in regards to contributing to the investigation with the UN? Yes, so, I mean, Youth Law, as listeners may know, is part of a much bigger coalition yeah. called Smart Justice for Young People, um, which is made up of about 50 or so organisations, all trying to, um, you know, advocate for reforms to you know, either keep young people away from the criminal justice system or make sure that, you know, their rights are protected if they happen to be already in the criminal justice system. Um, and as part of that um, coalition, we've got a Raise the Age working group, um, which is very, very um, dynamically led by actually um, Lauren Frost from the Human Rights Law Centre, but I also co-convene the big group and I sort of sit on that working group, so I'm sort of able to let you know what that um, working group's been doing in this space, sort of bring up to speed a bit if that, if that you know, is useful. Um, so I suppose the first thing to note in relation to the the visit from the committee was that, um, yes, the working group, um, we put in submission um, through Smart Justice for Young People just to sort of, I suppose, make sure that some of the issues specifically for children and young people um, in detention was sort of on their radar in terms of their visits. Um, I mean, some of them aren't, issues aren't unique just to children. They, they cut across adults as well. But I suppose we, we talked to them a bit about um, issues like uh, need for equivalency of healthcare with for children and young people in youth detention. We obviously talked like everybody has been about the need for Victoria to um, implement the OPCAT protocol and and it's, um, yeah, the fact that it's been sitting on its hands to, to do that. Um, but we also importantly did raise also, as would many of others, the need to raise the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14. Um, and obviously that's consistent with um, basically what the United Nations um, has been recommending all nation states do for some time. So 
Um, I suppose it was just another opportunity to make sure that was very much on their radar and that there's a sort of a common call nationally, as there has been for some time now, to raise the age um, to 14. Um, and we did sort of encourage visits um, here in Victoria, if, if that was going to be possible. Also, maybe in youth detention centres, um, you know, such as Parkville or Malmesbury. Um, and so, yes, that's enormously disappointing that that because it's been suspended, obviously. What was disappointing, Tiffany? Oh, sorry, that the um, the visit from the um, UN committee that was you were talking about with Josephine yes. was suspended. Yes, yes, and that was that was a decision that was made yesterday. That's right. That's right. Um, what so, do you think about that? Yeah, like yeah, as I say, hugely, hugely disappointing. Um, I think we saw it, you know, as an opportunity to really, um, you know, have these issues really talked about in the community again, um, get some international pressure on federal government and state and territory governments to, um, you know, implement OPCAT and get some sort of independent oversight happening in these places of detention. So I, I suppose we were all quite encouraged by it and what could flow from it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's really damning for both state, territory and federal governments for that not to be able to proceed and not to be able to make that happen. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very bad look. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting that some of the prisons in New South Wales and Queensland wanted to stop access. Yeah, it really is. And I, you know, I'm not close to that. I don't know sort of the, the real mm. backstory to that, Marissa. Me but, either, um, but it just seems a little bit disgraceful. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, yeah, I just, and I'm not sure why, again, federal government wouldn't have been able to somehow try and, yeah, make, you know, encourage encourage jurisdictions to, to provide that access. But that so that's, that's also affected Victoria, evidently, hasn't it? So that um, that they haven't been able to come here either. Um, well, I'm assuming because I, I suppose you, with these um, visits from these um, from the, this UN committee, you don't know exactly what site they've chosen. Um, mm. Sort of make submissions encouraging them to, and then um, you don't know, actually know what list they ended up with. So whether or not they had Victoria on their list of places to visit, I don't know. There's no suggestion that I've heard that Victoria in any way, shape or form blocks them if, if we were on the list. Um, Absolutely. So, so Tiffany, what, what, um, what constitutes torture, do you think? I mean, in, well, not you personally, but, I mean, what constitutes mm. torture? Like, for instance... You know, we talk a lot about police cells and prisons across Australia, but we also need to look at the fact that our youth are being tortured and the UN needs to know about that. That also needs yeah, to be investigated. Yeah, And, look, the, the remit um, for the OPCAP protocol is very broad because it, you know, it talks about um, the Convention Against Torture and other cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment. But it's very broad. I mean... Obviously, the definition of torture itself um, is inclusive of lots of acts that we know happen in our detention facilities at the moment, but obviously 
you know, inhumane, degrading treatment is is very extensive. But in terms of torture, um, you know, I would argue that um, the use of solitary confinement and lockdowns in youth detention facilities is arguably a, f- a form of torture. Um, you know, that's debatable by others, I suppose, but that's that's definitely one form. I mean, if, and if you go away and sort of assess or monitor or measure that harm to those individual children um, by being involved in multiple lockdowns or, or solitary confinements, I mean, yeah, the, the damage and trauma is, is enormous. It is. And have there been any submissions that are forthcoming from... Um, the organisations in regards to youth advocacy to the UN? Um, well, yes. That's, sorry, I probably jumped the gun a bit. That's what I was sort of mentioning, that Smart that's Justice okay. for Young People had definitely written um, written submissions to that committee, making them aware of some issues from a youth perspective. So, And we got an opportunity to meet with members of that committee as part of a very large um, group of players from different organisations across Australia just again to to meet with them and to sort of brief them when they were sort of working out and deciding their visits. So I suppose that's why we were so engaged and so encouraged and, you know, across the nation we were all talking about similar issues and and, um, and similar um, thing, you know, recommendations we would have loved that committee to put to the Australian government, which was inclusive of you know, ending solitary confinement, um, raising the age of criminal responsibility and and obviously, you know, implementing um, op, opcat monitoring across across the country, you know, having independent monitoring in all detention facilities um, across the country. And where can um, listeners find the, that submission or any of those submissions? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I... I I'm not quite sure where that submission oh, is sitting publicly. Anyway, they can Google Yeah, that. and look, I'm happy for listeners if they're interested enough to contact me directly. In, in, on the off chance we haven't sort of popped that on a public website, which I'm, I'm not sure 100% we have. No, no, that's um, right. Look, things are happening so quickly too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, know, it's just crazy. Like, so much information. I mean, I yeah. only heard by accident about yesterday's decision, you know, of the subcommittee. Um, yes, the fact yes. that it, it had to suspend its visit, and yes. it's it's just just so much going on, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, and it's hard to know what noise there is about that. I mean, obviously in our circles, Marissa, yes, we're all shocked and dismayed and talking yeah. about it, but I'm not sure the community, you know, would would have that sentiment. They might not have even been made aware that this, you know, this Correct. visit from the UN committee was happening, let alone that it now can't happen. Tiffany, <laughs> so I haven't it, heard We've got to do better at getting more information out there, don't we? Yeah, yeah, because I... And that's where honestly, you come in, because you're great at it. Sorry? And that's where you come in, because that's what you're, you're doing every week for us. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, honestly, have you heard anything on ABC or other... TV stations about no, this? No, no, just no, I haven't. I think, no, I haven't. No. Well, that's why 3CR is a very unique resource, and so is Youthful. I mean, yeah, you're a unique yeah. resource, Tiffany, because, you know, you, you're on the ground. You know, you come onto the show and you talk a lot about what's happening with youth, you know, raising yeah. the criminal age, you know, yeah. all of these things that are really on, on the backbone. I mean, children should be 
with their families and having birthday parties and playing in the playground. Mm-hmm, and, exactly. you know, Aboriginal children need to be doing culturally appropriate activities on country to to heal rather than, uh, you know, being locked up in a cell. The UN needs to know these things. It's torture. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they, I think they, they um, asked and I think they listened. And from what I could gather, they were, you know, ferociously taking it all on board. And I think they had an excellent briefing from um, so many groups across the country. So I think they were very aware of the issues and, and it just would have been very interesting to see when they actually visited the sites, what, what conversations they were able to have, what sort of feedback they would have been able to give the governments. But so it just seems like such a, a missed opportunity. Um, and now we're back where we were prior to that visit, where here in Victoria, we've still got no movement happening to, um, you know, set up Victoria's own independent monitoring, monitoring body um, to, to undertake those sorts of visits within detention centres to start, yeah, getting getting some of those changes flowing from their visits. But, yeah, I think we feel like we're just very stalled on that issue. It's, um, they keep saying, well, the, the federal government isn't isn't um, coming to the party and funding us to set up that monitoring body. And we're saying, well, you know, you're finding money for other things. So we, th- we think this is very important for you to do. It wouldn't be that expensive. But unfortunately, we're at a bit of a stalemate here in Victoria um, to set up to set up those sort of um, monitoring bodies in Victoria. Indeed. It's approximately 4.45 and you're listening to an interview with Tiffany overall from Youth Hall. Youth so, Tiffany, any final comments before we finish? Oh, um, no, other than in, for those um, listeners that have been sort of monitoring the Raise the Age campaign for a long time, maybe just to keep your eye out, there might be little... Victor Media leading up to the state election, we're um, um, conducting a bit of a survey with candidates um, that have put up their hand for this election, just asking them if they do support raising the age um, to at least 14, um, and we'll try and share some of those results of those surveys with you, just just for your information for when you're going into the polling booth, knowing whether your local candidates have values that align with yours, I suppose. Good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we need, there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, in regards to youth before before the election. Yeah, definitely. Tiffany, it's been lovely to have you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Hi, we're the Marindas, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Three CR is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in how three CR operates. Copies of the codes are available from our website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are.
Show and you just heard a beautiful song by Archie Roach, who has also passed away. And that song was is called "Life Is Worth Living." And we're nearing the end of our show. It's approximately four fifty-two, and you just heard you heard today three interviews um, from the Human Rights Law Centre. That was Josephine from the Human Rights Law Centre, senior lawyer. Also, Elo was the first interview. Um, talking about police investigating police and then we heard from Tiffany from Youth Law and it was basically looking at both interviews with Josephine and Tiffany were looking at um, the UN and the investigation that's being done about torture in prisons, detention centres and police cells across Australia. So yeah, um, I think there's there's been a lot that's gone on today um, in regards to the show and Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doin' Time show. And um, we'll be going out shortly with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella by the Rumpy Band. And do get, get onto that Human Rights Law Centre website and have a look at, if you're interested, and have a look at some of the, um, the submissions as well and see um, what, you make, make, what you make of those, because there's quite a lot of submissions, that, submissions there and recommendations um, in regards to, in particular, all about mistreatment and detention and abuse of human rights of asylum seekers and refugees. So, yeah, and, and in fact, uh, there's also a joint statement that's been issued um, with the human rights law, from the Human Rights Law Centre and other organisations in regards to what yesterday's decision, just to recap, um, about what happened with the, the visits being um, blocked um, by prisons in New South Wales and Queensland. So, yeah, so a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. So it's goodbye from Marissa, and we'll be going out pretty soon with Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band, and stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doin' Time show. Thanks so much. Take care of each other. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.